G'day, welcome to Cocktails and Roses, Australian Podcast of the Year Award nominee, Cocktails and Roses, featuring Australian Podcast of the Year Award nominee host, Alicia Aitken-Radburn. How you going? I'm so good. You're doing all right? Better now that we're nominees. You're so nominated right now. Oh, my God. I know. You too. You're looking very nominated. So nominated right now. So nominated. Like, I'll make three other podcasts, but I didn't put entries in for any of them. Next year. As always next year. We are going to talk about this week's episodes of The Bachelorette, okay? There is the boy. We went through a lot. It's a couple of long ones this week, wasn't there, Alicia? Oof. Oh, my God, huge. What a huge week. The volume of people, just that. By the end of this week, there's not many left. Not many left. I had to drink a Barocca at 8 p.m. just because when I realised how long it was going to go, I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> going to need a little more on board to get through this. If you haven't watched this week's episodes of The Bachelorette, you are about to hear everything that went on, so stop what you're doing. Get on a 10 play, catch up and come back here. We'll get right into it after this. Here we go, Bleach. We kick off with uh, the second single date with beautiful Holly. Instantly, you see a spark between them, don't you? Oh, I am so on board the Holly and Brooke train right now. You mean Brolly? Thank oh, Brolly's their couple name. I like that. Oh, that works. And you've got to have a solid couple name. Yeah. I'm on board. I think that every time that they see each other, there is definitely that air of anticipation, but then happiness of coming together again. It's so nice to see them together. And this single date was so important for Brooke. And we've spoken on the show before about how both Network 10 and the production company, we wanted to absolutely do this right. We're going to do this. We want to do it right. So we, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So we got experts on board. We got diversity experts on board. We got Indigenous First Nations experts on board. And they were unbelievably helpful to all of us to understand and learn and therefore be able to show to other people who may not know how important things like this are for someone like Brooke. She is very proud of her heritage. She's connected so strongly to her culture. And it was so important for her to find a way to be able to show Holly, if they ended up together, how much of a role commitment to culture and ritual and things like that would play in their lives together. They found this beautiful way to do it by weaving together. And they kind of walked through the bush and, oh my goodness, it was just the most sweet, sweet moment. It was awesome. And I think that that really speaks to the depth of Brooke's feelings towards Holly as well, because this is a really special look. I love a good skydive. Was very disappointed that I didn't get to go skydiving on my season of The Bachelor. And look, skydiving will always play a role. But how much more meaningful and important is this scene where we're simply, we're seeing two women with an incredibly beautiful connection, deepening that that connection through something that is incredibly personal to Brooke. I loved watching it and I loved the simple act of through the weaving, they were weaving fibres from each other's home countries to symbolise them coming together. I thought it was 
Just like there's not many better metaphors than that. It's a long way from a chocolate bath. Yeah, look, I'm thinking back to like, you know, when Bella and uh, Lockie like broke that plate and then they were melting it back together. We've had a lot. Because <laughs> it's we're making television. We're trying to visually represent what's going on emotionally with people, right? You can't read minds. So if you're feeling it, you've got to speak it. And it's show, don't tell. So we have to constantly look for ways to, to show this stuff. And this was just perfect. The scene, the bush, the leaves on the ground, the sun through the trees, the two of them, just their hands are so expressive. Mm -hmm. Hands are the, they're the eyebrows of the arm. They're so expressive when you see hands, you know, (laughs) they really are. Hands can show if if you're clenching fists, hands can show if you're tense, if you're relaxed, hands can show, you know. Yeah. And the tiny little touches between these two people. My goodness. Yes. And I felt that the activity and Brooke sharing this with Holly also led them to some deeper conversations, Mm. which are obviously so integral at this point because we're really on the home stretch. Yeah. And this is the point that we have to be having some of the more practical conversations about hey, look, we're clearly vibing. Like, you can see it through all of their little touches. Yeah. But how does this translate to outside of the Bachelorette bubble? And they start having some of these conversations here. They raise for the first time that they don't live in the same state. Mm -hmm. And they also cover the territory that Holly has actually never brought a female partner home to her mum. And that's a really big thing for her and her family. And these are tricky questions to have. I remember there was a time in my life when I was, before I met my now wife, I think the last relationship I was in, I was head over heels with a, she was an Argentinian DJ who would go on at the day club in Buenos Aires at 5am. At the time I lived in Los Angeles and I'm like, it'll work, it'll work. I'm four years sober. This will be fine. Like (laughs) looking back now, I'm like, Dude, she's like 8,000 kilometres away and on the other end of the drinking and using spectrum. What the f- What are you thinking? <laughs> so I had to face some harsh realities there. So I really understood what was going on here, all right, what it would mean because they both had to look at each other and go, this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot, like there's some difficult conversations and I really, you know, the location is one thing, but I think it's nice because it sort of foreshadows hometowns and I think that in this conversation already... I read that there was some understanding that Brooke and Holly, like, Holly's going to hometowns. I felt that. And Holly raises this about her mum. She foregrounds how important her mum is in basically, like, progressing a relationship. Yeah. And it's something that we hear a lot because it's something that was, for me, on Bachelor in Paradise. And I, I remember that on my first season of Bachelor in Paradise, and I think that maybe Conrad raises a very similar sort of conversation around it's very important if you get to meet my mom. My first season of Bachelor in Paradise, I was at the end with Jules and I remember production coming to us and being like, hey, we're like organizing your people to come all the way to Fiji. And I remember tossing through the names in my head and I was like, oh, Jules is just not like there was something not there in the relationship that made me inclined to invite my best friend Hannah, rather than my mum. And I think that speaks to how people really, like, if you're meeting the mum, that is... Yeah, 
It's a BFD. Oh, yeah, it is a BFD. (laughs) I liked working that one out of my head. It's a BFD. And then obviously, like, stoked that we got to a second season of Bachelor in Paradise with Glenn because then it all crystallised when production came to talk to me about who was coming over for Glenn. No doubt in my mind, of course it's my mum. This is my future standing in front of me. Right. And we're going to bring these worlds together. Yeah. So I think Holly and later Conrad foregrounding how important their mothers are in their lives speaks to how important Brooke is in their life. So Holly gets another rose at the end of this beautiful, beautiful date. So Brolly is looking good. Woo. Yeah. I think what would your couple name be oh Glalisha perfect no it's Glisha it's just a simple Glisha I disagree I like it because I get some uh extra <laughs> letters I've got a wine bottle someone sent me a bespoke wine bottle with Glisha on it Glalisha is more fun to say <laughs> okay if you want to go talk to Punky about it <laughs> okay cocktails and roses I need you to tag us you know you get on board you tag us in the Instagram you let us know Glisha or Glalisha <laughs> All right, well, we're going to make an Instagram story. The people will decide. <laughs> we move on to the classic Bachelor. It's almost like a, uh, oh, God, what was his name? This is really the kind of early 80s Rick Moranis movie. Think big red lettering, Rick Moranis on the front with his hands like in a shrug emoji. It's the parent test. There's always a parent test. <laughs> There's a parent test. It's either Steve Martin or Rick Moranis. Doing that one on the, on the cover of the of the DVD. There's always a parent test date. So good. And here we are. We were at brilliantly West Tigers' home ground, which for Carla Miko, who is my hair and makeup artist and has been my hair and makeup artist, uh, we worked together since our first day in television in 1999. Oh. She's West Tigers through and through. So for her to be on this home ground, she's like, <gasps> and what's super wild is when you walk around backstage, at the, well, it's not backstage at a football ground, what's it called? I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> so we were backstage at the football ground under the stands and there's all these photos of Wests when they were like premiers and when they won the NRL, right? That. Wow. There's the team photo of the glory days and sitting in the front row is Benny Elias and next to them, their coach, your mate, Alan Jones. And <laughs> my mate. My mate. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not my mate. <laughs> He needs a gig. Maybe you can find him like a side hosting gig somewhere. It was pretty weird. Anyway, we get out of the field and it's, you know, when you run out into these fields, like the grass is just impeccably kept. It was beautiful. But then you remember, oh, hang on, that's right. Wayne Pierce is going to tackle your face into the ground here. and It's going to really hurt. So anyway, (laughs) um, we find these three kids who are absolutely wonderful and the kids were the team captains. What do you mean you find them? You find these three kids. Someone in production called, uh, I guess it was a casting agency, and said, we need three kids. You know, they've got to be around these ages. They've got to be into this kind of thing. And I went, great, we'll send them. I'll tell you what the brilliant thing about working with kids is, and you've been to group dates where there's some sort of sport involved or a game involved. They're grueling. You're going to this, that, and then Voxies, and this, that, and then Voxies. Like, you're breaking out to do interviews all the time. Like, it's nonstop all day. Yes. With kids, you've got to take a break every 20 minutes. Love that. So, like, oh, it was a great day, man. Beautiful. All the camera crew are like, love working with kids, man. Love working like, tools down, nothing to do. We can't do anything. It was so good. So good. What was wild, though, is the kids, uh, and I love this part, from the mouths of babes, Alicia, 
the kids were going to give Brooke feedback and judge the grown-ups on how they went. And it was absolutely glorious. Uh, Luca and Kurt were both straight into the... Because Kurt's... I mean, Luca's a PE teacher, right? And Luca said some... Luca was saying some pretty cool stuff quite deliberately out loud. I love it. Like he was walking past Brooke and the, one of the kids was a bit down that he didn't win this particular leg of the race. And he right, he went, mate, you either won or you had fun. There's only two options here. And he, <laughs> I was like, oh. That is so beautiful. I'm such a PE teacher. <laughs> like, like that's straight out of the phrase book of PE teachers. That's so nice. It was a pair of Canterbury shorts and a whistle away from just, you know, it was just, it was so good. It, and it was fun because the kids, they were good kids. I think they were about, I don't know, nine or 10, maybe younger, maybe seven, eight years old. So they were, they were pretty good. They were pretty switched on kids. And Millie, a woman after my own heart, just went, oh, hang on, there's a competition here. Uh, game on. <laughs> she, you know, mm. The gums went back, the teeth got bared, and away she went. Oof. I really hope that people are kind to Millie in this moment because have we not all just been in a game of protect the treasure and just got it a little bit too into it, forgotten any context of the situation? <laughs> and um, Millie's a gym manager, so I really feel like she's got that sort of fitness, competitive streak, sporting streak. Yeah. And honestly, for as much as... It was probably a bit of like uncomfortable sideline viewing. I feel like Brooke is also the sort of person that could be inclined to get really into a game of protect the treasure. <laughs> we like to win. Now, when I say a woman after my own heart, I really felt familiar on this one because there's a reason I no longer play competitive team sports. When I'm in a competition, I know this about myself now, I don't like doing things that involve a team. Because a part of me comes out that turns into a horrible human being. Uh, I will cheat. I will say horrible things. I will call people names. I will be too aggressive. I will be mean. And I don't like that. So I had to stop playing pool to this point, Alicia. I, I no longer play pool. Pool. Won't even do it. Because it like would ruin your night because something would like... It brings something up in me that I just... I had to stop playing competitive uh, mixed netball. I no longer play indoor soccer. I can't do any of those things because I just become this... This something happens in, in me that I dislike greatly. So I... I recognise that, unfortunately, too late. It was in my late 20s by the time I figured this out. <laughs> so when I see Millie, I'm like, mate. I get it. Was she 22? She's 22, 23? Yeah. Absolutely, I would have done that. A thousand, that would have been me. And I would have thrown kids to one side. I would have <laughs> tackled children. I would have been such yeah. a bastard. So I totally get it. I totally understand how she got caught up in it. Because I, I would have done exactly the same thing. I was so excited to see another win for Kurt. Yeah. Another one-on-one -on -one time. But I'm quite devastated that by this point we haven't, you know, we, we're about to go into our final single date. I'm devo that Kurt hasn't received a single date, but I've been relishing these one-on-one -on -one times and he did not miss, like his last one-on-one -on -one time, Osha, he was a little... He, he wasn't, he was into the conversation. And I think Brooke was 
you know, interested in conversation, but had a different agenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was sitting in his lap. <laughs> this time they were very much on the same page yeah. and Kurt went for the kiss. It was nice. And he got a rose. Yeah. Well, it was also really nice that he was really clear with her and really related to her. And, you know, people underestimate him because he does speak with a slower cadence. I think they just assume stuff about him. But yeah, he is a very intelligent, very compassionate man, works with kids, works in outreach. You know, he's an amazing guy. He's a mentor. He's a sports mentor. He's super, super important in many young people's lives. And I think Brooke really clocked that. You know, game recognizes game. That is what Brooke does for a living. And she went, aha, I know you will. When I come home and tell you about, you know, what I had to deal with with this 11-year-old today, she'll, he'll be able to go, yep, I know exactly what I know and I know why you did it. You know, he'll be able to understand perfectly. And that is so important. If you can come home and tell your partner in less than a sentence and they go, get it. I mean, I'm my, my wife, she's in the industry, so if I can go, Oh, what did you have today? Oh, we had someone trying to justify their cab charge. Oh, I hate that. You know, it's like when, when you're doing a shoot and someone from the agency, hang on, how am I going to say this without Rachel getting upset? Um, when you're doing a shoot and someone, who, someone who's organised it, who doesn't really, really need to be there, is in the back, but they, oh. you know, they got a cab charge to get there. They're sitting there eating catering and they'll go, oh, maybe a different jacket? You're like, hang on a second. This is Melissa Byrne. She has dressed more people than you've had hot dinners. Are you going to say that, you know... Stay in your lane. Stick to your spreadsheets, mate. <laughs> the experts right here. I get I get the value in that, Osha, because, you know, in my own relationship, Glenn comes home and tells me that there was this issue with this ducted air conditioner and I, I get it completely. I'm not sitting there being like... Oh, okay. <laughs> Googling what some... I've got that much sort of like random piping in my backyard and tools that I don't know the name of. All I know about air conditioning ducts, I learned from the film Aliens. So every time someone says I work in air conditioning, I'm like, oh, wow, you crawl around avoiding death all day. That's... <laughs> Glenn's in a Facebook group called Crappy Refrigeration where it's just basically all of these trainees who, like, compare notes of, like, this. And I'm sometimes looking over his shoulder and it will be like he'll, like, giggle at something. And I look at the picture and it's just, like, some pipe bent or something. I'm like, what are you, what is this? Oh. There's a similar one in our industry. It's called Shitty Rigs. Shitty Rigs on Instagram is just so... It's, it's people on set taking photos of like, I can't fucking believe what we have to do. Can we clarify yeah. that it's a camera rig and not like... It's not a person's rig. Yeah, yeah, camera rig. Shitty Rigs. Shitty Rigs on Instagram is really good. Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. At the cocktail party, this is it. It's the final single date. Just to clear things up, I haven't been delivering much mail in this season. Normally, I deliver a lot of mail. I read a lot of, you know, and I, I deliver the, the envelopes and I whip it out quite a bit. We were in peak COVID, cases going up every day, such and such and such. So it was a part of the idea of like limiting contact as much as possible, unless I absolutely needed to be there. That's why I wasn't there because people were asking about that on Twitter the other night. So that's why right. everybody else is reading out or arriving, suddenly arriving with the date cards. Uh, and so there it was. There's the stakes. Last single date is about to be given out. Then it's like, boom, everyone's into, okay, let's do power-ups. Luke has got a romantic adventures box. What's in the box? I can't say the word box without, <laughs> without going Brad Pitt. What's in the box? 
Where's that from? Oh, the movie Seven, which is going to ruin your afternoon. Okay, good. Well, I'll I'll put Seven and Top Gun on the list. <sighs> watch Seven first and then watch Top Gun. Okay, okay, good. Will Top Gun put me in a happier mood? Yeah, Seven's a David Fincher film with Morgan Freeman and, and, and it's incredible. And it's also one of the films where you have to kind of go, Kevin Spacey. But, you know, oh, right. yeah, yeah, I'll leave yeah, you to yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'll leave you to it. Terrible people make great art. You have to accept it. Um, Millie, uh, there's a bit of Sangrio, which is a bit exciting. And then Jamie Lee puts Brooke on a pedestal. I didn't like it. I, I, no. I, I didn't like it because, so one of our fantastic producers on Bachelor in Paradise, Tom, striking tall Manchester accent, lovely guy. He once, when Glenn and I were getting to know each other in Bachelor in Paradise, we were sort of in the deeper stages and we were sitting on a bench and Tom walked over and he gave us this compliment that sort of, I I think he intended it as a compliment or it was just an observation on our relationship that I found really lovely and it stuck with me. And he said, he walks over and I'm not going to do a Manchester accent, but he's like, do you know why this works? It's because neither of you put each other on a pedestal. You treat each other equally. There's no like inflation of the, I think sometimes in this context, because everything is amplified, tea lights, roses, fairy lights, there's this tendency to then amplify your relationship or, you know, as Jamie Lee is literally doing, putting Brooke on a pedestal. And I think for relationships to be successful, you actually do have to come to it as equal players. And so I understand, like, I get it. I understand what it's, it's like a beautiful moment, but there was just something about it that I was like, oh, babe, in the real world, you're going to have to be like, you know, Glenn's in hospital with tonsillitis at the moment. Like you're going to have to be getting up at 5.30 and going down to the hospital with a change of undies or whatever. Like life isn't, you shouldn't be putting each other on pedestals. As someone who uh, I've definitely done that in past relationships, it makes it very weird for the other person. It's like it goes down to power dynamics. Yeah. And you shouldn't have this unequal power dynamic in your relationship. Yeah, it blows accountability out of the water a little bit in that behaviour that you would otherwise not accept or the behaviour that the higher status person would otherwise never do. So they start to get away with it and go, oh, yeah? Mm. And then it kind of it can kind of spiral. It's not great. David, boss move, flowers show up. Quite the bunch of flowers. Classic, classic move. And I reckon it might have trumped everybody. Yeah, so she was really touched by the flowers. And I was really like, I'm thinking about that last single date at this moment. And so David's had this really earnest, beautiful conversation with her, the flowers, every girl likes flowers. But then she goes and has a conversation with Conrad and they have this really, really deep conversation about the children that they'd see in their future, Brooke's thinking like two, but then she shares something very personal and very unique that she would love to adopt or foster children. Mm. And they really bond on that. And Conrad embraces that so wholeheartedly straight away. And so I was going into the envelope handing out, being like, Conrad, for sure, done, dusted. But no, David. Ah, yeah. Yeah, Conrad, he was all about it. And we'll see later on. 
yeah, Conrad was Brooks was like, oh, yep, here we are, here we are. This is good. And the the kid conversation is important because it does come back later on. The single date goes to David. I slipped into whisper mode and I had to go inside and say, Will, I'm sorry, but your moustache is going to have to leave the mansion. I do not fret, though, because I'm sure that many are moustache riders in your future. (laughs) That part didn't make the final cut. The two of them have to leave. And just like in the movie... I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin Top Gun for you. Oh my gosh! Can we hold off until next episode? I'm gonna tell you guys about Iceman. I'm I'm committed to it. It's like literally in my calendar. All right. I'm reading our notes. Does Goose die as well? <laughs> we never know until the end. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Unfortunately, Brooks Wingman, Brooks Top Gun Wingman, has to leave. And that's it. It's it's a goodbye to Will and it's a goodbye to Luca. They're both going to be just fine. They're <laughs> great human beings and they'll be, they'll be okay. Will and his beautiful secret rig and Luca and his lovely PE teacher encouragements are all going to go out into the world and have a... They're going to make wonderful people wonderfully happy. We're going to have to take a break. There's a, there's a lot of episodes to get through, so we should Ooh. hurry up and, and, and pay some bills. time now i love an art challenge we've had some fun art challenges in the past we uh, famously had <laughs> punky have really made a, a meal out of our art challenges in the time because i guess the empty canvas just lends itself forth to you can then photoshop something in you know you can you can mat something in there and make it look like it so i'm really looking forward to seeing what the meme lords do with this episode <laughs> we have had people get their kit off in the past there was that famous moment when um angie kent brought evie along and uh, your mate, Kieran, took all his clothes off. Yeah. And he was just but naked and just all wang. And there was just penis everywhere. <laughs> um, I didn't know where to look on that day. Oh, I don't doubt. What I loved about this art challenge is, you know, as you mentioned, Osha, a lot of the arty dates that we've seen on The Bachelor have sort of been more comical. We've had Laura Byrne drawing Maddie J. Do you remember that one? They were like off a boat. (laughs) They're classic. It was so good. (laughs) Or maybe it was the opposite. Maybe Maddie drew her, but whatever. The creature sort of like (laughs) the creature, the portrait was maybe like had hints of gremlin vibes to it. Like it wasn't a full serious art attempt. And then we had famously the drag you had to like paint your inner drag queen and we got the iconic abby chatfield drag queen painting which resurfaces in punky recaps all the time it was so good what i loved about this one was it really had a more serious edge to it Mm -hmm. i'm not sure if we heard we didn't hear too much about it i think it was touched on but brooke actually enjoys like finds art to be really important in her life and meditative. And so I I liked that she presented this in a more serious way. Yeah. And they're all standing there by their easels. They've been briefed and it's really quiet. And they're like having sips of wine and being really thoughtful. Then they're doing really well because Brooke is naked 
in front of them. Yeah. Like, and I was so, so impressed with Brooke. She is, she just projects confidence and it just, it really shows. We've never had our hero do that. We've never had our hero, you know, go, no, 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 I am so not needing your approval. I am so happy to be here mm. completely as I am. Here I am. And I, you know, I could never do that. So watching her, watching the, the confidence, it's not really confidence. It's, um, it's a self-assuredness. Like her, her sense of approval is completely internal. Yes. Basically. She's not relying on anyone else to go, you're okay. She's like, no, I'm fine. In fact, here I am naked in front of all of you. It's very vulnerable. It was amazing. It was so beautiful. And quite clearly, Conrad, secret Conrad. My goodness. Just unbelievable. He really blew everyone out of the water. And it wasn't just through his art. I felt that it was the way that he communicated his art to Brooke. Yeah. I did feel a little bit bad when we're sort of like running through everyone. Like I loved Holly's, Darwin's. I was not, not too sure about it. It was okay. I felt bad for Kurt, who got like, there was this sound effect. You have to go back and yeah. go on 10 play and have a look at it. But it was like, bit of a stitch up, <laughs> bit of a stitch up in post production there. And clearly, Conrad just, everyone knows what's at stake. This is it. Hometowns are on the line here. So Conrad just beautifully goes, well, here's your silhouette. And they, look, there's you. And she goes, oh, and he goes, this is everything I see within you. And, you know, here's your turtle, here's your totem. I've been listening. I see you, I see oh. you, I see you, I see you. And she's yes. on board. She is 100% in. The only thing that can happen is Conrad can open his mouth and ruin it. Weird. But they get to the moment when they're together and she goes, right, this is it. What does it look like? And it's a bit of a, uh. And I was like, oh, Conrad, just say anything. Mike, just say anything, dude. Say, be specific. The woman needs specifics. Yeah. And he was trying. Like, he definitely... Okay, you could see through this interaction. I could read where Conrad is at in his life. He sort of says that he's left carpentry behind. And I get it in the sense that I think for a lot of people, The Bachelor... Just also the sort of age range that we see people come to The Bachelor. Sometimes The Bachelor can be an experience that is sort of like a, hey, there's something not working in my life, so I need to shake things up. Yeah. It's a lap marker. It's, it's a let's go around the corner and see what's over here. Yes. And everything else was behind me. But I think, particularly for Brooke, she is looking for someone who can identify. And fair enough if it's a lap marker for you, but I think that... What Brooke is looking for is someone who can still identify. Had Conrad been able to be like, these are the things like tangibly that I am passionate about and this is what I am looking to get into once we leave the mansion. Mm. If he was able to, like, you know, be like Kurt, maybe, be like Kurt, that's so mean. He should, he should be yourself. Yeah. If, if he was able to be like, I think that I would really enjoy working with children, I'm going to pursue that. Even if he was like, I've really enjoyed this TV experience, I think I might like to pursue production work or be a camo or I don't know, just something more tangible than generate an income by making people happy because yeah. I feel like that is basically what so many people want to do. Yeah. I. What did you think of that? I've, well, part of me wants to believe that inside he knew what it was, but 
maybe he didn't have the confidence to say it, you know? Yes. Part of me wants to believe that. Like, I think he knows where he wants to go, but he's just, he's unable to say it out loud just yet. And that's fine, but Brooke really, really needed him to at least give her an idea. Like, even if it was, I've left carpentry behind, I'm looking to do six straight years at uni to pursue this, you know, then it's like, oh, okay, I can piece it together. Yes. Can't have this nebulous, intangible, cross your fingers and hope on the back end. Brooke needs, no, I need some stability here. And for the first time since we started this, my prince, my hero, Conrad, I can be like, oh, mate, come on. I was shouting at my TV, asking him to come on, do something, do something. Doesn't help then that the very next date Brooke goes on is with Mr. Stability, Mr. I've got my own business, Mr. I know exactly what's happening next, no. David. <laughs> oh, boy, howdy. They go to uh, make some wine. Uh, I'm not really into ASMR or asthma, I believe it is uh, pronounced. I'm like looking around for my puffer. <laughs> is it broadcast code to broadcast this level of intimate squishiness on primetime television? I don't know. Because it was pretty gushy. It was a lot. And I don't think that we, you know, it's not the first time we've seen mushing grapes on The Bachelor. We, we had, uh, I think, Jared Woodgate in his entrance. He squished some grapes in his feet with Sophie Monk. Uh, oh, yeah. Abby, Ch- yeah. Abby Chatfield and Matt Agnew also squished grapes. That's right. Which is a good in. Well, actually, Abby came second, so maybe it's not a good in data for David, but... <laughs> Oh. Yeah, well, but, but yeah, but that, that didn't work for either of them. Jared also did it, the long walk down the beach. Oh, oh my God, is this a sign? Is the mushy grapes a curse? The curse <laughs> of the mushy grapes. Oh, my God. Sorry, David. Thankfully, they put their shoes back on. Uh, just, I, have a, I have a thing about icky feet and like n- nothing would make me want to, like, A, I'm sober, but there's no, no. I'm not going near it. I wonder if they gave like a hose down before they got into the grapes. <sighs> I hope so. At least, <laughs> at least a baby wipe. At least a baby wipe. Brooke again. She asked the same question she asked of, of of Kurt. You know, it's like, what's what's next? What happens now? I need a, I need a consistent. You know, I need something that's you know solid. What's going to happen? David's like, um, I'm here. I'm all in. Um, but manages to brilliantly manoeuvre himself out of any conversation around you live in a different state and mm. which we'll find out later. My family's really into me, into me staying in Queensland. They managed to get out of that, which is pretty good. Yeah, and, you know, you, you flagged it already, Osha. We are going to get into it more deeply later, but it's a big issue for them in the sense that David has... I did a little bit of stalking. He has like a full landscaping business with staff in Brisbane. And having been in a very similar situation where I was also having this long distance conversation with Glenn and, you know, I was in a more of a, how do we put it? I was in a free flowing state in my life where I had more ability to sort of just pick up and go because I didn't have anything really tying me to New South Wales. Glenn has a full established business in Perth. And I think that that is a difficult conversation where someone has, has staff that are relying upon them, that have roots, that have. Mm-hmm. So we're going to. You've got a lease agreement on premises. You've got all kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to get into it later. But they did. They, like, they had the conversation and he definitely ticked a couple of boxes that perhaps Conrad didn't in terms of stability. 
but maybe it's too stable uh-huh. <laughs> to bring their lives together, weave them together. Sorry. Yeah, wonderfully. When we get to the cocktail party, Conrad and Kurt, they have a, there's, a, there's a moment on the couch where they just they both realise, oh, shit, they realise how much, uh, how close they are. And I know it was, it was really hard to flash back for a moment. It would have been really hard. I try to put myself in their position. Watching everybody else talk Brooke through their artwork, whether or not the artwork was any good, you are witnessing probably for the first time the intimate level of connection with everybody else. And it was very hard for them all to see. And that makes perfect sense. You're like, oh, my God, he's really... I'm into her like that. I see the way she looks at him. Man, wow, that breaks my heart. Like they're really, it really felt, and that's so really changed the cocktail party because they all now see how into everybody Brooke is and how everybody is into Brooke. Brooke is obviously she's trying to figure out what happens next, what's going on now, hometowns, hometowns, hometowns. What does it look like with Conrad? I need stability. I need long-term stability. Like this would all be wonderful. Lots of kids, all the everything, long walks on the beach. Like, but who's going to pay for the MDN, mate? Like, tell me about it. Where are we going to live? What's the story? It's true. Like sometimes the glamour of, and I've just got to do it. Like, I'm sorry, our producer, Rachel, you really like have just, I, I very rarely read straight from the podcast outline, but this phrase, we all want brunch and weekend walks with our multitudes of biological and adopted children. And it is, this is true. But sometimes the gorgeousness of brunch and, you know, life isn't all glamour. We have bills to pay. Oh, and, and so I think that she's really, she's like, Brooke is clearly seeking answers. Yeah. She's realistic. She's, she's absolutely realistic. And as someone who has been through this before, she's able to see, oh, and, you know, she would have seen and known people who had made it to the final two, the final couple, and seen what their challenges were and understood, all right, so when the other person's in another state and working and you're now just here, you know, doing show and tell on Instagram for a couple hundred bucks, is that? No, maybe not. I think that's so, I think it's really amazing that we're seeing the end of this season of The Bachelorette framed up in this way. Mm. Because I think so often, sometimes when we get down to the sort of, hometowns and even when we're at the final two and our lead finds that person and they enter the real world, sometimes the the lead will see that as the next big challenge. But I think that Brooke is almost going a step beyond and being like, no, I'm, I'm not looking to like get into a relationship so we can then enjoy like the post show glow of the bachelorette. I'm looking for post the post show glow yeah. and I'm looking for the person who can negotiate 3am wake ups because our child is crying. Yeah, she's strictly business, which I love it. so dig about her. She has fantastic boundaries and I'm really, really glad that post-production left a lot of those lines in the show because she says it all the time, but she, she has really good boundaries and you can't be what you can't see. She demonstrates really brilliant boundaries and really brilliant ways of externalizing her expectations because you know you can't hold resentment at your partner for not understanding what your expectations are all right you actually have to verbalize them and 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 spell them out and you have to be sure that they understand you it's your responsibility to make sure the other person understands what the hell you're talking about you can't just hope they guess that you want them to pay the bills you got to be like no this is what i'm looking for anyway it's a sad goodbye to millie but a super sad goodbye to kurt oh sweet kurt sweet sweet kurt Oh my god. Oh. 
someone's going to scoop Kurt up so fast. Like, I reckon that maybe even once we get past the finale, there will be a soft launch of a girlfriend on Instagram. You reckon? Yeah, absolutely. Kurt's going to not last one second out in that. He's a, a just such a sweet man, a total dreamboat. And in his heart, he's just so kind in his heart. And we had a bit of a chat uh, one day and he was talking about you know, I know I've spoken about it on this show before. It was talking about, and you often wonder, like we only see at the Olympics, we only see the people standing on the podium with a you know small collar in their hand and holding heaps of gold medals. We don't see the literally hundreds of people who trained just as many hours, dedicated their lives from the ages of five, like spent five hours a day in a freaking pool, yeah, you know, crazy. for decades to miss out by essentially the the space between the end of my little fingernail and the cuticle, right? Which is how long it was for him. It was like a hundredth of a second. Then boom, you spat out the other end. Now you're in your mid twenties. What are you going to do? And he has managed to create an incredible life for himself and take the wisdom and what he's learned and enrich other people's lives with it. And so basically, yes, this is my advert for Kurt. If you are into dudes like Kurt, you're not going to find a sweeter, nicer, more together man. Look after him. He's amazing. There you go. (laughs) Do not break my Kurt's heart. What an episode. Far out, man. I barely... After all of that, we go to hometowns, oh. which by this point was quite late at night. So I was I was holding on. But this is the gold. This is the good stuff, man. Once we get to hometowns, this is where it's all on. Conrad's first cab off the rank. Conrad's dad. Like, it was just the most... I, I saw a lot of my own mum in Conrad's dad. And it reminded me, like, the way that Conrad's dad and I'm sorry I'm jumping a little bit straight into Conrad's dad but I'm just I just thought it was my favorite part of Conrad's hometown the way that Conrad's father reflected on the fact that Conrad's clearly had a very serious deep relationship in his past that hurt him quite significantly yeah it is really hard and I don't think I really understood because I'm not a parent yet that it is so difficult as a parent to see your child suffering heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't to Conrad's dad's extent who I just thought wore his heart on his sleeve, but my mum was really hurt by seeing how hurt I was by the situation with Jules. There was a good period of three, four months there where, and it was around Christmas time as well, so you're with your family and Christmas is that point where you can really, you know, you can clearly delineate when someone's emotions are tracking differently. And it can be really hard for a parent. And I know that my mum took on my own hurt and clearly Conrad's dad has taken on his own hurt. It made me, we're going to get to it, but Brooke sort of wrangles with this idea of like, I really don't. It's sort of up the stakes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it really, it, and she can see, and, and this is the hard part because she can really see that people are, it's not just the person that she's into. You know, she will understand that her choices, and fair enough that her choices and hers to make, but her boundaries have to be super clear. She can't be, you know, three of these people, because we know, we've seen the promos, we've heard the I love you, we've, we know one of them gets to stand there at the end. Oh, yeah, it's not a honey badger thing. No, so. Yeah. Three of these people are going to be rejected. And so she knows that it's not just that person. It's, it's their family as well. I should point out that this, this all happened at the peak of like over a thousand cases a day 
COVID. Wow. You can't travel more than five kilometres from your house. Super lockdown here in New South Wales. So that's why there was a lot of Zooms going on. We couldn't meet people face to face. If there was any scene that you saw people sitting across the table for each other, like everyone was COVID tested up the wazoo, well, nose, but, you know, everyone was really, really COVID tested and <laughs> it was like super, super, like we had to keep everybody safe, right? So anyway, that's why they had to go over, over Zoom. It was a, a beautiful moment. Conrad's dad just, oh, what a glorious guy. And I know I said it to you the first, you know, when we first saw Conrad in that spa date with Brooke, you know, this is what happens when... A parents love a child unconditionally. This is the kid you get. Once I saw his parents, I'm like, absolutely. You are the people that made Conrad. I think there are these moments, and I'm sure you've had them as well, Osha, where you you meet someone and you're sort of falling in love with them as a person. And that's not necessarily just to say romantic love. It can be platonic love as well. Mm. And then you meet members of their family and you just fall deeper in love with them. Oh, yeah. Because you're like... Oh, now I see. Now I, I get you even more deeply as a person. And I saw that. Like, as soon as I saw Conrad's amazing, eccentric family, I was like, oh, you're the real deal. Yeah, yeah. There was no pretense. It was great. Yeah, it was, it was, it was absolutely glorious. It was glorious. We got to meet some of Jamie Lee's best mates. Uh, Dee, who is one of her friends, had a, a bit of trouble getting her head around the concept of the... The, the show, uh, of which has been on air for nearly a decade, and um, which, fair enough, not everybody watches. Yeah, Dee struggled a bit. And this, this, this was, this was kind of interesting because this is the first, you know, this is the first ever all-female hometown. Oh, really? Yeah, we've never had that. Like a woman introducing another woman to her all-women. Never had that. Wow. Never had that. It's the first time in history this has ever happened. And it was wonderful. Yes. It was wonderful seeing the dynamics. And I was saying to uh, my wife, you know, what was brilliant about watching these hometown episodes is that really, truly, gender was taken out of the equation. And to a large degree, physical attractiveness was taken out of the equation. Hotness was taken out of the equation. It was truly all about how does this person make Brooke feel and what does their future look like? And for me, this was the most compelling hometowns I've ever seen, without a doubt. Yeah, I agree. And, but I, I, I'm just still stuck on D. It was so funny how they're sitting there and D's like, it, it's, you know, that meme where it's like the lady with the maths over her head and she's like pondering. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. like, D was like trying to unravel, like, how are there three? There's three other people. There's two men and a woman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot. Yeah. She got there, though, and she sort of seemed by the end of the hometown sort of sold that Brooke and Jamie Lee were, were the real deal. Yeah, she got there in the end. We get to meeting David's family, and they're up in Brisbane, and this is the first time we've met David's mum and a lot of things. As you just mentioned, a lot of things make sense. David's mum's like, yeah, and um, boy, can't really leave Brisbane. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> She's pretty clear about it. It's literally Glenn's mum, Nolly. Like, very pragmatic, realist. And I loved it because, you know, Brooke's pretty realistic as well, as we've, as we've spoken about. So you've got these, like, two very logical people coming head to head. Yeah. Having this very logical discussion with all these emotions permeating. And it was, like, so good. <laughs> but they're, they're super smitten. You can clearly see, you know, there's a lot of connection, as there are with everybody. There's connection with everyone. 
Brooke's not putting it on for anybody. Brooke is well and truly able to compartmentalize her feelings for everyone, which is a very difficult thing to do at this point of the adventure. And she's clearly connected really strongly with Conrad, really strongly with Jamie Lee, really strongly with Holly and really strongly with David. And you can see that in every every time. But yeah, David's mum is very much like, yeah, all well and good. You'll need to sort this out because there's like my boy, he lives 300 metres away. No, we're not having him 1,500 k's or 2,000 k's away. And I think it will be really interesting, you know, not spoiling the rose ceremony, but I think it will be interesting to see in the coming episodes they need to have that conversation. Like now they've identified it. Yeah. They still haven't really had the conversation. They're still sort of riding on that emotion, which I just like, I'm thinking on that doorstep, doorstop moment where they leave the hometown and they're sort of having that chat and people tell the other person, oh, I'm falling in love with you. They both say they're smitten and they say it a number of times and I'm like, this is just feeling like a code word to me. <laughs> ah, right. Yeah, it's very hard because our hero at this point, our hero, he or she can never say, mm. can never say. And you, of, you often get this moment. Speaking of conversations that are very important to have, oh, man, Holly's mum, brilliantly. This is the first time that Holly has introduced a woman to her family. And it was a, a very, very big deal. Not because that it's a woman, because... You know, they all understood how important it has to be for Holly to bring somebody home. Mm. It was beautiful. And Holly's mum, excellently, is, again, much like Conrad's dad, just super protective. Yeah. Which I totally understand. I totally, totally get. But they've forgotten to mention, Holly's forgotten to mention a very important, important factor (laughs) to Brooke. Yeah, they've missed some big ticket issues. And... It's Holly's mum that sort of teases these out in saying that Holly's mum starts discussing kids with Brooke and Brooke gives her, I don't want to say standard response, but it's just I say standard response because she's raised it a number of times through this series that she'd like a couple of her own and then she'd look to adopt or foster. Yeah. And Holly's mum's just like, oh, Holly doesn't want kids or maybe one, which I also think is like, that's vastly different, mm. not having any kids or just having one. Which is totally fine. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah, if you don't want, if you don't want to have children, don't have children. This is to- totally fine, but you have, to be on, you have to be aligned. Yes. If you're trying to get into a relationship with someone, essentially you're, you're getting in a car that you're going to keep driving in for life. You're not even in the same car. If, you, if one of you wants kids and then the other one doesn't, like you're taking a train and they're taking a bus and you're going in opposite directions. Like it's don't even start. And this is a really important thing. And Holly, the, the, the conviction in Holly's mother's eyes is it's like, A, she doesn't, she really doesn't want her child to get heartbroken. Mm. And she understands how important this is for her. But she also understands that I know that if you start going forward, it's just, not going to work. She doesn't want her kid to get hurt and she understands, like, it's just going to hurt so bad if you keep going and then try to... Yeah. It really made... I really felt for her, you know? And it was a really, really devastating end to the hometown. Yeah. Because Holly's mum had teased these issues out of them, the kids and also mentioning that I, I don't think Holly really understood how 
how strong Brooks pulled back to WA for when she sort of raises a family, maybe. Yeah. Or at least it was something that Brooke raised and it seemed like a bit of a point of consternation. And then they're standing there together and it was this really, really upsetting moment where it felt like both of them were sort of grappling with that question where sometimes, I know it sounds awful to say, but sometimes love just isn't enough. Uh, yeah. Oh, I know. This is the same thing that had me not going to Buenos Aires. I know all about it. Oh, the one who got away, the Argentinian <laughs> DJ. <laughs> Uh, I'm, how do I put this? Um, it's like, like as a man, that relationship was like when you go to, say, for example, a Bucks party of who's a mate of a mate and you end up rolling with a bunch of dudes who have neck tattoos and go hard oh, as, Jesus. and after about two days, you're like, this is really exciting and wow, this is a really intense situation here. Like I can get why you all are into it, but... There's no way I can keep... I'm, I know we're supposed to be here till Sunday, but I'm going to go home on Saturday afternoon. Bye, everybody. I'll be sleeping for 24 hours. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit like that. It was like, wow, this is... Wow, this is amazing, but there's no way this is good for me. <laughs> or you. Let's... Yeah. Anyway. Uh, this is not supposed to be about me. Uh, <laughs> I, I had to whisper. I had to whisper the name. I didn't want to whisper, Alicia. And it was such an intense whisper as well. It was like it was the whisper that hurt the most this season. It hurt me the most because I just adore him, and I just I understand where he is in his life. He's thirty one. He's yes. You know, he's obviously you don't accidentally become a carpenter. Like it takes a lot of time and dedication and skills and. There's an investment of, of infrastructure. You've got to buy all these these tools and equipment. Like it's you don't you know like it's not a thing you accidentally do and, and and or you know willfully and willingly and and quickly on a whim walk away from. Yeah. But I'm like, oh man, just just say it out loud. Figure it out for yourself, and then just say it out loud and commit to it. It'll work out, Conrad. And I had to whisper his name and tell him to go home. <laughs> it was devastating. And it made me. I think I was more sad than Brooke at that point. <sighs> If this season has given us anything, the depiction, the visual depiction of this form of Australian masculinity was so important on this season of The Bachelorette. Just so incredibly important for people to see that here is a man who ticks all the boxes, who probably drives a big truck as well. Everything, 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 everything. And emotional intelligence and empathy and compassion. You know, it was just brilliant. There is the model. Go forth. He is just the best. I am heartbroken and I'm my heart was just a little bit more broken because when he was in the limo going home, he said, this makes me not want to put myself out there again. Oh. And I really, really hope that he, you know, because it's in the moment, right? Yeah. And you are devastated. I hope it's also been a really beautiful experience for Conrad watching this back Sometimes it's a really amazing thing to see who you are as a person on screen. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we have this conception of ourselves, but when you see, it, see yourself on screen, it's sort of affirming to your self-identity as well. So I hope he's seen these scenes with him and Brooke and seen how amazing he is as a person and he does put himself out there again. Maybe not before they cast season 10 of The Bachelor. <laughs> I don't get a vote. They do not listen to me, but I'm going to say it out loud right now. But Daily Mail write that up. <laughs> <laughs> 
an option. It's an option. Like, it's got nothing to do with me. It's never had anything to do with me. But I'm going to say it out loud. Please. Please, Conrad. Please be our bachelor next year. Let me find you the love you want. Wow. We had to say a very sad goodbye to our hero. Will we see him again, Alicia? (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) As Sammy Hagar famously said, only time will tell if we will stand the test of time. That's it. What a mammoth. What an absolutely mammoth episode. Thanks for listening. This was Cocktails and Roses, which is a 10 Speaks podcast. If you missed last week's podcast, if you want to check out anything from last season of The Bachelorette, everything's on the Cocktails and Roses 10 Speaks page on 10 Play. You can watch Channel 10 Wednesday, 7.30. Of course, you can catch up on episodes all the time at 10 Play. Bachelorette Australia, we are one week away from the big final moments, and I'm all about it. All about it. It's going to be amazing, Alicia. I am so excited for these final episodes, and I'm excited to go watch Top Gun. (laughs) And Seven, but watch Seven first. Thank you so much, uh, Ali and Rachel, our producers. Thank you, Alicia. You're going to sign off for us? See you next Thursday. (laughs) Still funny.